Hello, my name is Brandon Boat, and you're listening to the Theater of Public Policy podcast. These interviews were recorded from the 13th season of our live show at the Bryan Lake Bowl in Minneapolis. Every show features an interview on an important issue, and then an improv comedy performance based on that interview. You're listening to just the interview from one of those shows. We'd also like to thank our media sponsor, MinPost, which provides reader-supported news and analysis. You can check them out at www.minpost.com. In this episode, we're talking about the census. We have two guests for the show. Our first is Susan Brower, who is the Minnesota State Demographer and directs the Minnesota State Demographic Center. Since 2012, she has traveled the state talking with the Minnesotans about the new social and economic realities that are brought about by demographic shifts. She earned her Ph.D. in sociology at the University of Michigan and holds a master's degree in public policy from the Humphrey School of Public Affairs. Our second guest is Bob Tracy, who is the director of public policy and communications for the Minnesota Council on Foundations. Since 1994, he has lobbied at the Minnesota State Capitol for groups including the Minnesota AIDS Project, the Minnesota Coalition Against Sexual Assault, and the Minnesota Legal Services Coalition. I hope you enjoy the show. I'm so excited that you all are here. So thank you uh, very much for coming and, and talking to us about this. So I, I kind of want I wanted to start just asking, uh, it, it, according to my calendar, it is 2017. The census isn't until 2020. I don't know if you were aware. So why are we even why are we even doing this show now? Like, shouldn't we just sort of sleep on it for two and a half years and then, oh, God, it's due tomorrow. And then we'll all just mail in our things then. Well, the people who respond to the census sure can do that, but the people who are preparing for the census began just about after the time the last census was done, and so right now is really a heightened activity of a heightened period of activity for people who are organizing the census. So, talk to us just a little bit about what what is some of that activity that happens in that that ten years in between. There's a bunch of stuff that has to happen in terms of rolling out the operation. So um, there's a huge mail-out of all the census forms to all the addresses in the U.S. Uh, But, of course, addresses change, and there's people who move around a lot, and there's people who live on boats, and people who live in trailers, and people who, you know, there's all kinds of living arrangements that where it's hard to find people. So what's what is, happening? Some people don't want to be found. Did you ever think about that? Like, I did think about that. Yeah, some people don't want to be found. Um, but, but right they still now, count. but they still count. <laughs> yeah, that's so that's sort of a nice them. positive. Yeah. Like, you know what? You can hide all you want, but you still count. That should be like the census tagline. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah, we'll come up with something else. <laughs> so uh, you uh, one, uh, and right. I want to talk. A, go into sort of a more existential question. But one other uh, piece you said mailing all the forms out and whatnot. So is that just sort of logistically still the way that we do it? That everybody just gets like a, a form in the mail and you you use your number two pencil and color it in. This time, for the first time, people will have the option to go to their computers or go on their phone, their smartphones, and respond that way uh, via the internet. Uh, but they will receive that first notice, and that's how they'll know to respond um, the first time. So that that getting everything ready is really important right now. So I, I will go to my big existential question, which is uh, why? Why should it, why, you know? Again, it's very exciting that we turned an entire. Uh, a room full of people out to hear about the census in 2017. I'm going to assume none of them knew that there would be free beer ahead of time. Uh, <laughs> so, but, so, 
maybe they know, but for other folk, why why do we care? What what was what does it matter to me if the census works or not? Um, I don't know why it matters to you, but I know why it matters to me uh, and the Council on Foundations. We're in this because uh, we believe in inclusion and equity, and that creates a more prosperous Minnesota. Uh, and part of getting there is making sure people have power. Um, that means strong democratic institutions, and there's nothing more democratic as an institution than the census. The, the Constitution says we have to do it. So there's one reason right there. Constitution says you've got to do it, we've got to check it off. But why do we have to do it? Yeah. And it's how we figure out how to allocate power in our country. If you're not counted, you don't have power. If you're not counted, we don't have the information we need to give the, the money to your community to close those uh, gaps that are a result of, of inequality in our society. We don't have the information we need for small democracy to work. Almost any one of us who goes to a community meeting, we get data put in front of us. Well, the denominator in that data came from the census. We depend upon the census to make smart decisions, and we need it to be to create jobs and economic development. Businesses make, Target ended up down the street because of the census. And it really? got there, well, yeah, because that's how they knew who lived in this neighborhood and who was likely to shop there. So there's so many things in our society, both uh, our, our civil society, but also our business and economic um, uh, communities that are driven by the census. Well, let's, everything she does uh, makes us uh, smarter and more powerful as a community. But I don't take the census. <laughs> census Bureau takes the census, but we use the data that come from it for, so for Minnesota. And you help collect it. Yeah. So, yeah. Let me push this a little bit because uh, I can uh, imagine folks thinking, I get that. Uh, once upon a time, the census was the only game in town, maybe, or whatnot. But now we live in a world where people are sort of constantly being polled or checked or like dataized. Uh, and so is the census still important the way that it was if, you know, uh, if you did an amalgamation of all of our little data footprints through using credit cards or being online or whatnot, you could put together something similar. But they make sense out of all of that data based upon a reference to the census. That's the baseline. Yeah. You That's need to the have denominator. The universe of the people for the smaller polls and the smaller surveys to make sense and to be able to understand if what you have there is representative of the larger whole. So, uh, so you said a little bit about uh, the business piece. Can you say uh, more about this? Like, you have the data that you're you're working with, and you're figuring out how to allocate resources. And and what is what are some of those resources? Can you give us an example of somewhere the dollars would show up because of census data? So there's all kinds of federal programs, and there's also state programs. Uh, transportation, education, agriculture, housing, uh, early childhood, all kinds of things have the census numbers baked into their formula. So the numbers or the money that we get here in Minnesota from the federal government is based on those numbers That's that come out of the census. One-third of the state's budget. But even at the state level, then, we calculate who's paying what taxes, how do dollars get allocated to our schools? Again, all based on that census data. So, you know. What happens if we just do it, if we're just like, ah, we'll sit this one out, or we're just, like, bad at it? Uh, well, it feels like right now our federal government is actually doing that. 
Um, and here in Minnesota, uh, we're being good Minnesotans to make sure that we don't sit this one out. But uh, our Congress has done a very, very bad job over the last five years of spending the dollars necessary to get us ready to have an effective, inclusive, and accurate census. Is that unusual, or is that something that sort of happens every 10 years that they're like, ah, oh, we'll deal with it next year? Is this, is this it's not, okay, it's, it's not, it, it is unusual. Um, uh, we have a very different Congress and have had a very different Congress these last 10 years than we have in some of the previous censuses. And even more concerning now is we have a very different president and a very different administration. And it's one that has created a culture of fear. And probably the greatest anxiety about this census right now is that people aren't going to show up, not because they didn't get the form, they didn't want to fill it out. It's because they're terrified. They're afraid of what's going to happen to this data. They're afraid of what this administration is going to do with the data. Are they going to use it to target undocumented citizens? Are they going to use it to target other people who, uh, frankly, uh, don't fit the original constitutionalist view of who an American should be, and that would be a white person-only property? So, Take that, renters. <laughs> I, that was my point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it, the conversations at the national level right now of those of us nerdy folks worried about the census is the fear that we're going to have a failed census. So what would that mean again? Like, and you've sort of outlined some of the general things that we use this data. But I mean, just let's let's just hypothetically go ten years into the future. We have a like dud of a census, a failed census. What what we'll is have the fake world? data? So uh, we what what does that mean? I guess paint the picture for us. So I think most people have the sense that more or less there's equal representation of, of folks in the districts that are drawn, that the, the equal amount of people are represented at the state level, at the congressional level, because we know how many people live in a certain district. Now, if we're to miss a whole bunch of people, then the way that we draw our congressional districts and the way that we draw our state legislative districts won't reflect the reality of the number of people living there. So you'll have this kind of underlying... Um, lack of equality in terms of representation. That's the representation issue, but uh, we've already had one terribly discriminatory thing happen with this census. Um, this administration, after years of efforts to make sure at this census we actually counted queer people, uh, this administration decided, nope, we're not going to do that, somewhat arbitrarily. So what does it mean? When we're looking at allocating public dollars, queer people don't exist. When we're looking at doing community planning, Queer people don't live in these communities. And when businesses are making their decisions, the census data isn't going to tell them where that market is. So we've erased one part of our population already from this very important So wait, when database. you say we're not going to, will I just not get a census form then? Am I just like off the hook for filling it out now? Like, did I just save myself 30 seconds? Of course, 10 years of non-representation. But, I mean, that 30 <laughs> seconds. What you're getting, though, is making sure that when we do health care planning, public health planning, we really don't have data about a very important part of our population. When you say the, that we're not including, I, how so? Like, uh, they were taken off You're, ca you're counted, but uh, we collect a lot of data about people who respond to the census. We collect information about their gender, their age, uh, their race. Uh, we're getting some information this time that will give us uh, an indication of uh, uh, 
national origin in some respects based upon the race data. I hope so, yep. But uh, we are not getting information about people who identify based on sexual orientation. And that is actually a very important part of our community and our culture these days that we're going to just erase. I want to go back to the point, though, of, of the fear that exists. Yeah. We're going to have less information, possibly, about Latinos, about uh, people of other national origins who are immigrants or refugees in this country. Um, You're saying if there's a poor response. I'm saying no, in this context of, of fear that is being created in this country where people are saying, I better not fill that form out. See, well, I, I better not open that door and answer uh, the knock to fill out. It seems form. like, you, I, I, to push on this a little, like you're kind of telling us two very contradictory things. One, the census is incredibly important, but then you've also outlined a picture of why people very much might be afraid of And that's doing the it. nut of the problem we have going into this census. And so why what are people you are concerned about folks? it, we don't know yet. Yeah, but what you don't know. But what people I, must I, be coming to you like, Bob? Oh, do are. I do my census no, or every, not? Everyone like, comes to our census meetings, and and they want to be part of this because it's an important piece of getting our democracy right. But at the same time, it's built on a model that says the way this works is the federal government does their stuff, the state does their stuff, but then trusted partners and communities, nonprofit groups, churches, businesses need to go out and encourage people to also participate. And those people right now are saying, wait, we don't trust the process. So a very fundamental piece of this process may be falling apart. And frankly, I think it has everything to do with members of Congress who have said, we don't want these parts of our communities even acknowledged. We want to erase them by having a bad census. And we have a president who ran on saying, there's certain people who just don't belong in our country. So what, I go to you then, what is the message then for folks? Like, how do you, is it to get past that? Uh, what do you say, folks, to, yeah. to get them to, to get past that fear? I think it will be something that we'll need to learn to do better and differently this time. But the Census Bureau has some of the best protections, legal protections on the data that no one can touch the data, including the president, including the Department of Justice. These protections, don't you? <laughs> I, it's just, I'm sorry. It's just, I, of all the things ever said about our president, the no, idea no, no, that no, he would okay, go deep into a data sense <laughs> was never one of them. <laughs> That's fair. Okay, but the, the framework is there. The framework is there, and the culture at the Census Bureau to protect these data are there. Um, but what's, what's not there right now is that trust that, that um, someone won't uh, break the law. And we were talking downstairs in the green room before your, your company inter interrupted us. We were having a good, useful uh, conversation. I'm so sorry. <laughs> they're, yeah, yeah. they're incredibly horrible. They so, are. They, it was uh, rude, but... We've got to figure out a way to tell folks who are anxious about this census that we've got their backs. And we've got to figure out what that means. And that's an unanswered question right now because we didn't, frankly, a year ago expect that we had to answer that question. So I, I want to do a couple more questions. I should say in the second part of the show, we open it up for you all to ask questions of our guests. So please um, think about some of the things that you're still wondering about. Uh, for Minnesota, what, what are the... Uh, Minnesota's been good at the census, I think we already said. Yeah? Pretty good? Yeah. The, the best? Really yeah. good. Really good? Yeah. Are we the best? Wait. Well, we're number two. Number Last two. time we were number two. To what does us, that mean, being number two? And who's number one, and how do we stop them? <laughs> First of all, it's not a problem stopping number one. It was Wisconsin last time. Oh, so, no. Um, but... <laughs> 
our initial response rate, so the folks who got the card, filled it out immediately, was 72% in 2010. That's really good. But if you go north of the Brainerd Lakes, it starts to drop down to, what, 60%, 50%, especially in the tribal communities. So we have communities of this state who do not respond to the census, and we're going to have to figure out how to do better outreach there. So uh, we do – what does that mean? I, I just want to kind of press that question one more time, that we were number two. Or, what does that actually mean? So that's a measure of who got their census form and mailed it back without any more prodding or poking. And so – If uh, we know everybody that we're sending the census form to, why do we need to do the census? There's no names on there. We don't know how old people are. How many people are in that household. <laughs> we just have an address. Do we mail any censuses out to just like – non-addresses, like nine and a half, like platform, nine and three quarters, and just see if like somebody fit, like, I live here, I've been waiting for someone to write. Kind of, I mean, that's kind of the trick right now, is to find anything that might possibly be used as a, as a household, as a housing unit, and, and get that address now. Yeah. Um, uh, so, what are the, Minnesota has done very well in the past. Yeah. Um, what, what are the stakes if we don't do well? What, what if we fall to number, I don't know if the ranking matters, but what happens if we just do badly at well, the census? We just flunk our Congressman census. Congressman Nolan will have to probably get a pilot's license. Can you say, <laughs> I don't, he might want one for all we know. Uh, he's, uh, yeah, that's a big I area. one of the big concerns. Colin, on, Colin on, Peterson enjoys flying around. Maybe they could have little like dueling like aircraft things. Yeah, they yeah could, a they show. Could. And that's the point, is that we would... Uh, Minnesota was very close during the la- after the last census to losing one of its congressional districts. Um, the last time Minnesota redistricted downward was 1961. So that would be a pretty significant event in this state if all of a sudden we went from eight congressional districts to seven. And frankly, what we would see in greater Minnesota are much, much larger districts and a higher concentration in the metro area because that's where the people will be. And just to outline that uh, a little bit further, Minnesota is growing. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm looking at the state demographer. So why would we lose a congressional seat? Because we're not growing as fast as some of those states that are in the southwest and in the south, like Texas, for example. It's growing very, very rapidly. And so every 10 years, we have everyone, all the states need to adjust again to... What, where the growth has been. Have we ever thought, maybe we should just give everybody more uh, representation? Like you, like New Hampshire, basically, has, I think, a state representative for, like, every 14 people. Uh, we could just do that for Congress. You, we could all be Congress people. <laughs> I, th- I think that's a different conversation. <laughs> so uh, so we, might, <laughs> uh, we might lose a congressional seat. That seems... Uh, uh, I've heard some people say it's not a matter of if we might. We, we're no, 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 no. Actually, a year ago, people were saying absolutely we, would, we were no longer going to be one of those bubble states. We were going to lose a congressional district. But I, I was in a meeting a month ago where you know, we had some bipartisan national folks doing analysis. And for the first time, Minnesota didn't show up on the list of the six states likely to lose a seat. What it's are those? Bad, it's bad news, though. Why? Why? It's because we are on the path to having a failed national census with state after state after state probably doing a really bad job, and we're being really good Minnesotans, and we'll have our high response rate, and we'll do our targeted outreach, and we will have You say this so begrudgingly, census. like, we'll be good. We'll be good. This time, but <laughs> next time. Well, it's not that you want a good national census, and I'm 
going to do all of everything I can to make sure Minnesota has a fully inclusive, accurate census. But that should be something that's hap that should be a national aspiration and not something that just is a North Star vision. Oh, that, that's, again, a good tagline, like the census, hopefully more than a North Star vision. Um, Thank you. Well, you know, I, I am also a communications director. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> one, we, uh, we had a director of the census at the federal level, and he resigned, I believe, earlier this year. Is that correct? Do we have a new one yet? No. We're, we're going into the big game, and we don't have a quarterback. I'm sorry about that. No, sport. Uh, so... Um, <laughs> What is that? So why does that matter? Uh, or uh, I guess you know what is the national? Is he the guy who is or or woman or whoever it is who's supposed to pick up the phone and be like, Bob, you didn't fill out your census. Like, what does he do? It matters in that there's not the leadership at the Census Bureau, but there are scores of people who have done this before, who are professionals, who know the operational plan, but to not have that leader is important in terms of moving forward uh, in, in the face of some of these obstacles we, we that we've been talking about. We don't have someone going to Congress and fighting for the budget that we need for the census. This census is so underfunded. This, this is going to be our first high-tech census. The objective is for 50% of the responses, 50% of you, to respond online this time. Think of it. April 1st, 2020. It's not on April 1st. That's it funny. Is. That's That <laughs> seems like it's setting yourselves up for something. So, <laughs> you know, it, it, was our, it was somebody's joke hundreds of years ago. Great. But, but think of it, the experience this time with all sorts of folks going online to complete their census. Underfunded Congress, so we haven't been able to do all of the development of this new system, the testing. You know, we've been down the healthcare.gov route. Um, this is our country's largest mobilization outside of going to war. And we're going to try to do this online where huge swaths of our country don't have broadband internet. And we're saying, yep, fill out your phone online. They're going to have trouble. But if we have a system that we haven't even had the federal dollars to develop and test, you know, we're, we're just asking for a disaster. And it's not just that disaster. It means 10 years later, folks like Donald Trump being able to say, well, you can't trust that census data. It was a bad thing anyway. You know, it was a, it was a disaster. So then we're not going to use data to make any public decisions. We can't trust how we allocate power. We can't trust how we allocate public dollars. We can't trust things like Minnesota Compass that we use to make smart decisions in our community. And business can't trust this data because it was a bad process. We don't have a director now who's going to Congress and saying, damn it, spend the money, stop cutting the dollars here. We gotta get it right. We have no more time to lose. I don't know, are you free? Would you, would you be a, a national <laughs> census director? I'm not the right guy, but I don't know. You might have someone in your audience. <laughs> sure. All right, we'll take everyone's resumes uh, on their way out. Did, can I just say great things about Susan? The fact that we actually have a state demographer who's on top of this and, and pulling the act together. It's, we're very lucky. And so that seems like a very appropriate note to just keep that oh, applause so going nice. for our two amazing guests. Yes. Oh, look it. So um, I, I know there is there's controversy around counting imprisoned populations because they are uh, usually non-voters, so they're disenfranchised, 
and they overly weight that particular district because it'll have an extra 5,000 or 10,000 citizens. And so how do you count people that are incarcerated? Do you count where they're originally from? Do you still count them as part of the county but with an asterisk that says non-voting? That's something that they've been looking, the Census Bureau has been looking at and that Congress has been looking at uh, and re-examining whether or not people should be kind of put back for the purposes of uh, apportionment and redistricting back in their homes. Um, and I believe the most late, the most recent decision or the, the way that they're moving is that they would be again counted in the prison this time around. I'm not sure if they've made the final decision on that yet. Um, they have yeah, yeah, the final down. decision has been made. What I can say is when we're looking when we're looking at prison populations um, for analysis, data analysis, we can take those out and, and we can look at the towns without those prison populations. So it's really a matter of, of representation. And we were talking a little bit before the show. There was actually a pretty significant Supreme Court case uh, last session around uh, some of this question of who gets counted and who doesn't in regard to, I believe, um, uh, undocumented immigrants. Is, or is well, I think they were looking even uh, at non-citizens. So only non people, yeah. yeah. So legal immigrants, uh, it was considered that maybe they shouldn't be counted um, at, as... For uh, purposes of rep uh, state rep or representation for on a apportionment, right, right, exactly. But that's uh, not going to be the case. The Supreme Court ruled that everyone counts regardless of whether or not they're a citizen, whether or not uh, they have legal status. Um, and so that's that's been decided as well. Okay, I will come, I'm going to get this one over here and then I'll come that way. I actually have two questions. Can you please clarify for me again exactly what the difference is between a successful census and a failed census? And can you tell me um, if, if there's any way to account for homeless people? A successful census is one in which every single person in the U.S. is counted. They're counted once and they're counted in the right place. That's the Census Bureau's tagline. So a complete and accurate count is the goal. Wait, their tagline is counted well, once and counted in the right place? No, no, no. I mean, Bob, you're a marketing guy. Can you call them? <laughs> Everyone counts. Count them once, only once, and in the right place. <laughs> That's the goal. Um, so the, a complete and accurate census is the goal, counting every single last person. Um, a failed census would be where some people are missed because they're harder to count or they don't want to be counted or for any other. Well, and, for example, the 2010 census in Minnesota, the, the st statistician types, like you, um, yeah, they're pretty clear that we, we got the right number in Minnesota. We didn't overcount. We didn't undercount. We probably uh, got the right number of people. We overcounted, for example white people undercounted some communities of color so that's a problem but overall you know we got the right number of minnesotans included in our count so that was a fairly successful census the concern this time is an unsuccessful census from my perspective is that gap between uh, white people and people of color if it's much much greater if it grows that's a sign of a less successful census um, 
and that's probably our greatest risk right now is that fewer fewer new residents, new Americans, and fewer people of color will participate in the census. What was the You had a second question. So there's a um, specific operation that's um, targeted toward homeless people, um, a, a count. Um, in preparation for the count of homeless people, there's information gathered about all the kinds of uh, housing shelters that we have in Minnesota. Um, and that's part of what my office will help coordinate. So working with um, social service agencies and, and housing agencies here to be able to identify how many beds and how many people were in those, those beds uh, on Census Day. In addition, if people aren't sleeping in a shelter, in a housing shelter somewhere, uh, people are sent out um, to places where homeless people are known to uh, congregate, to live um, outside of, of a sheltered area. And that... Uh, to get that count, we also rely on people who know, locals who know kind of where, where to find homeless people. So there is an operation specifically targeted to find homeless people. Is this, I, I, I'm going to go this way quickly, but is this one of the places, an operation like that, is that somewhere if the federal government is funding it less that that will suffer or is that a state operation? All of it will be federal operations that are guided by state inputs. Um, and so to the extent that we can support what they're doing, I think we have a better chance of success. Um, there is a chance that if it's underfunded, they just don't have the people to do as good of a job as they otherwise would have to spend the time to collect the information that they would need in advance to be able to be thorough and complete. Some of the reason I'm in this game is... It's not unusual for philanthropy, for nonprofits, for faith-based organizations, other community organizations uh, to come together in a voluntary way to supplement what the Census Bureau is doing. Some of it is, you know, we know our communities better. We know exactly which bridges we need to go under to find uh, people who we might not be able to reach. Um, so... And that's exactly what we're trying to do in Minnesota, realizing there are going to be fewer federal resources. Uh, right now we're trying to raise money from foundations to develop a Minnesota-specific communication and outreach plan. The feds can do just so much uh, with sort of a one-size-fits-all national approach. We're trying to develop a strategy that really is tailored uh, to reaching populations in Minnesota that are likely to be uh, undercounted and then to make a pool of dollars available so that we can fund organizations to do outreach that the feds just aren't going to be able to do. Okay, I got a bunch of questions. So I'm going to come here, and then I'm going to go up there. Hi. Um, what key demographic shifts do you kind of foresee happening? And then if we do or don't lose a seat, recognizing that the legislature draws the final lines, uh, what, what shifts would you see happening in our congressional seats? Uh, that's a different show. Huh? <laughs> oh, come on. Speculate wildly. No, that, it's really important that you, that you ask the question. The census is the first step toward then the next conversation, and really one of the first uses after the decennial census, is the apportionment and redistricting. Um, and so certainly they're connected, but they're also very separate. Uh, there are groups right now in Minnesota looking at our process for how are we going to uh, approach 
uh, redistricting once the apportionment is completed, once the feds say, okay, these are your numbers. Um, and like I said, that is a, it's a very different conversation. I hope you do a show, a show <laughs> on redistricting. But anything you want to say about that? A couple of things I think this time that are different, that's different, a different context for redistricting is there are uh, many more people who are paying attention to it and many more people that understand just how powerful uh, drawing these district lines, what the outcomes are of, of drawing the lines in a certain way. Um, and the other thing is that we have uh, the ability to make the data and the possibilities more transparent than we ever have before. So there are technologies where we can look online and see what the impact of drawing a district one way or another way would be, uh, where maybe in the last censuses that just couldn't happen. The, um, the general rule, just to tie this back into the census, is that a, a congressional district should have, what, like 525,000 people in it? Or is that a, something around those lines? So we take the overall uh, population of the state and divide it by the number of districts that we have. So it would matter if we have, at, for the congressional level, if we have eight or seven districts, we would take the total population divided by that to get as, as equal of representation as we can. And so the hope is that each district has that many people in it. The equal uh, amount. Approximately. Yep, yep. Um, but the way that you draw, so you could have a district that is, you know, uh, like does a big circle all the way around the state, like at literally the entire border and <laughs> as one crazy district, and then like split up basically the metro area into like six different pieces after that or something. Well, there are some guidelines that they have to follow <laughs> in terms really? of have being you seen com Texas? compact that they're supposed to follow. And actually, Minnesota does a pretty good job of following them. Uh, they're supposed to be compact. They're supposed to be um, all in one piece. You can't have a polka-dotted district that falls in many different places. Um, and there's a, there's a whole line of criteria. But, but potentially, um, something... Strange looking could happen. So the legislature just adopted that list of criteria this last session. Uh, what was taken off that list uh, was an effort to say only the legislature can draw these lines. So it leaves open a conversation about working with something like a commission. Frankly, I don't think that's going to be the case for Minnesota in 2021 that an entity other than the legislature is going to draw the lines. But I want to go back to something Susan said and probably. In terms of redistricting, I think the most important take-home is that there are now tools out there where any one of you can get together and draw up the lines. You've got access to the data, and you can now be part of that conversation. It isn't just the legislators who get to do it. So any community group can say, no, this is what we think the lines look like according if we look at the criteria. So that, that's a unique power that we didn't quite have in the same wow. way. The new craze for all the kids, huh? Uh, <laughs> uh, how many questions are on the census, and who decides what type of questions go on the census, or who makes the final decisions of Congress. what you're asking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you for asking that, because that was something I wanted to be sure to bring up. In the census form, there's only the last time there were only 10 questions, and they're very basic questions about your demographics, so your age, your race, um, you know, where, how many children you have, the, the type of household that you have, kind of you lay out your relationships within the household. Um, 
whether or not you own your home is one of those things. So there's only 10 very basic questions. The kinds of questions about income, about health insurance, about um, educational level, occupation, all those things have been put into another survey that's an ongoing survey. And so what the census does is just a very short form relative to what it could be and what it has been in the past um, that goes to everyone. What's that other ongoing survey? The American Community Survey. Yes, that's the one. What's the, yeah, what's, what's this, what's this, I mean, maybe we should, should we have done the show about the American uh, (laughs) Community Survey? That's a good one. (laughs) Um, It's a really long. Join us next week. (laughs) It has a lot of data and it's really the the main data source that we use to understand the state. Um, in in my office, that's at one of our main surveys that we use. Well, what's the different? What is that survey? Can you just quickly? so now that used to be the what was um, called the long form of the census. In the past, people would receive either the short form, the ten questions or so, or they would receive a long form. Uh, I think it was one in six households would receive that. Um, And that had all those long questions. Well, the Census Bureau decided that they didn't want to, um, they didn't want to wait every 10 years to get all that really rich economic and social. That rich. That rich. Sweet data. (laughs) Sweet data. They wanted it, people wanted it It more often. It makes our democracy thrive. (laughs) So they moved it into an ongoing survey that's happening all the time. Um, you know, 70,000 households in Minnesota received this over the course of a year, and we receive the data, you know, the next year rather than, you know, every 10 years. So. And, and it's a crime not to fill out your Americans uh, community survey. Just want to make it, that clear. It, it's, and it's a crime to not fill out the census as well, correct? It is a mandatory survey and a mandatory census. Is this again your job? Do you are, are do you I, do you enforce, enforce this? Are you this? are you packing right now? Like I'm going to take no. that as a yes. <laughs> are there workarounds for the disappearance of queer people? I mean, can the state do something, or is there a subversive way to fill out the form? Or I mean, I mean that just was a really ridiculous decision by the administration that's going to have huge impacts. So what can be done? Well, what we're hoping to do is uh, let people know how important it is and to know that it's something that they have to do and it's easy to do and it's safe to do. Uh, and, and people can go online and do it um, and, and make it easier and less expensive for the Census Bureau to do it uh, if, if they just respond right away and, but, and fill uh, it out. No, you're, you're talking about... Oh, the, I didn't hear that yeah. part. Sorry. Oh, the queer part? The, I didn't hear that You part. didn't hear that part? Oh. <laughs> um, okay, so with respect uh, to that, um, we can tell from the census form whether there are people who are in a partnership in the same household of the same sex. So that's something that we already get from the American Community Survey. Um, the question of gender identity, of, of gender rather than sex, and of sexual orientation aren't on the census now. They have been moved into a, kind of like a test phase, as far as I understand it, at the Census Bureau, some of the supplemental surveys. But something that the Census Bureau has to weigh is what will it do to response rates and how will everyone respond to questions about their sexual orientation, um, that's something that they need to test and fully understand before they deploy it um, on a census form. 
It was. No? It, it was on the list of... Uh, there was a list of questions that were submitted to Congress last spring that Congress had to say, yes, we will address these topics. And it was included in the list of topics um, that could be addressed in the 2020 census. And just before that went to Congress, it got pulled off. Uh, no, in 2010, it was as Susan described, you know, they did the analysis of looking at Households that had same-sex individuals and then identified themselves as married. So I, I want to push one a little farther, though, partners, on her. Yeah. She was like, is there some way, like, could we all, like, put, like, a, an X mark or something in order to, like, signify to the data collectors, Let's like, see, oh, the work wink, wink, shove, shove. We all know uh, what this means. Do you, do you want to give advice <laughs> on the workaround? <laughs> Let the audio show that there was just an audible shrug uh, from the state demographer. I'm not touching that one. Workaround question. We could just put we could just put like the print symbol into every bubble. Um, Well, I mean, the census is slow to kind of it's just slow to capture the way that people understand themselves. So, you know, in 2000, it was the first time that people could check that they were more than one race. Um, and of course, people before that time were multiracial or biracial, but that was the very first time that people were allowed to to identify that way on a census form. And so I think we're moving, the Census Bureau is moving in that direction, but I think they're just slow to get there. So I'm the public policy community organizing guy, so I think this is a really good question. If anyone would like to be part of a task force to work on it, just give me your names afterwards and your email address and phone numbers, and we'll get to work on that. <laughs> Sounds like a... Informal census. All right. We focused a lot on census questions, but from a state demography standpoint, could you talk about two or three trends, things you're seeing looking into the future? Do you want me to and do that one, Susan? what the policy Susan? implications of those demographic changes might be? Sure. So the biggest changes that are happening right now, of course, and they're not going to surprise you, but they're um, kind of their implications are unfolding right in front of us right now. Uh, One is the aging of the population, and that has all kinds of uh, tentacles into our everyday life, including some of the workforce shortages that we're already starting to to feel. the increasingly diverse population is another one. Again, it won't surprise you, but that's going to continue to be uh, uh, something that continues to unfold into the future that will become more racially and culturally, ethnically, religiously diverse going forward, not only because of immigration uh, in the future, uh, but also because of just who the parents are right now. One, I've heard this conversation for a long time. I'm curious, is Minnesota diversifying at about the same rate that the country is, faster, slower than some of our maybe peer states? Yeah, if you compare Minnesota to the nation overall, we're diversifying at roughly the same rate as the nation as a whole. Um, We're just started... How average of us, yeah. (laughs) I know. Uh, We just started at a very much lower point. So in 1960, for example, there were just very, very few people of color living in Minnesota. So we haven't caught up by any means, but but we're kind of on the same path. Okay. And so uh, aging population, uh, diversifying, any other big trends that... 
I mean, I think the thing that's so surprising to me is to see how much growth has been happening in the center cities in Minneapolis and St. Paul in the last five to six years. Uh, in Minneapolis, between the last two censuses, there was a tremendous outreach effort of, you know, counting. They, they had... They had so many workers out there and so many community folks trying to get a great count, and I think they did that, but what they found after this whole decade is that Minneapolis had lost 40 people. Uh, in contrast, in the, in the first six years of this decade, between 2010 and 2016, we estimate that there have been about 30,000 people added to the city of Minneapolis, so a tremendous amount of growth compared to what's been happening historically. So that brings me to my, my last two questions here. First of all, I, I'm, uh, we've talked a lot about the census not working well, potentially. Well, I, 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 I have three questions. One is uh, if the, we just sort of like come to a place where it's like the federal government isn't going to be doing this well, is there something Minnesota can do itself? Could we decide like, you know what? Screw you guys. We're going to do our own census for Minnesota. We've done that. I mean, it's been about 100 years, but Minnesota used to do a state census. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't imagine that we would decide to bear that cost, um, but I think, I think our best bet at, at a good census is to continue to support the Bureau in doing in moving forward to, with what they're planning on doing at this point. Why are you smiling? It's, just, it's <laughs> such like a, yeah, fine. I mean, I mean, how cool if we were like, yeah, Minnesota, Super we got our own census. Well, we, in some respects, though. we do. I mean, we are going to be developing a communication strategy uh, that's a complement to what the Census Bureau is doing. But it, it's really going to dig into communities, the nooks and crannies that the Census Bureau is just not going to be able to reach. And we are going to be funding our own outreach and mobilization to get people involved. So the fact that we're still using the federal census apparatus isn't the issue. The real issue is what are we doing to do outreach and engagement and to stand behind those people who have legitimate fears about... Uh, what this government might do, even if illegally, um, with this census data. So, you know, we can build that infrastructure that's quite different than what other states are doing and um, call that our own census. So, my last two people, what are you most excited to learn in the next census? Is there something you're like, oh, I can't wait for this to come out because I just have to see what the suburbs of Philadelphia are doing? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, because we have the American Community Survey inching us along, so we have kind of a good read of what's going on year to year, and we have some other kind of data sources, so I don't know that there'll be a giant surprise, but I can say the thing I'm most excited about for the census and that I'm already seeing is that people are really open to it and, and wanting to get engaged with it in a way that I didn't know that people would. I mean, who knew? Um, <laughs> but I'm finding, that for me, that's, that's a really exciting thing to see that people are responding to the idea of census as a, a community organizing kind of a, a tool or a, a rallying cry, I guess. And my last piece, a question for both of you. Uh, if folks are here and they've been listening to this and they're like, oh, wow, all the, A, I get that the census is a big deal now, and B, now I'm all of a sudden I'm very concerned about the fact that maybe it isn't going to be working as well as it has in the past. 
what can we do other than obviously starting to fill out our own sensei? That's, I think, the plural. Uh, but well, what it's, else? It's sense us. Sense us. Yeah. Uh, sense. Sensei, uh, how do what do we fill out, or what do we do other than that? What what between now and 2020, what should we be actually trying to do? I'll, I'll answer that question, but I also want to answer the early one. Oh, sure. What do I want in this census? Yeah, I want Minnesotans to understand that Greater Minnesota looks very different than what we perceive it to be, and that communities of color in Greater Minnesota are really, really engaged in this census. Um, so I, I, I hope that's an outcome, that we get a good picture of, of how our, our rural communities have changed. Um, but uh, getting involved with this census, um, we haven't talked about the whole structure of complete count committees. The state is going to have a committee of folks who are involved with being ambassadors to proselytize about the census to their friends and neighbors. But so are localities. And oh, man, save some of your holiday party invitations for them. <laughs> um, but there is a way to be directly involved either at the state uh, complete count committee level, but counties and localities are going to be setting those up. And especially if you are connected in your community. You know, if you have a faith community that you're involved with, there's a nonprofit you work with, then they need you on the complete count committees because your relationships are going to be the things that help us not just get the word out, but also make sure people feel confident and comfortable uh, being involved with this census. So, And right now, as Congress is deciding budgets, uh, people can also contact their uh, Congress, the congressional representative, and let them know that it's an important thing to fund. How much, how much money do you want? We need, three, we, have, we need 300 million more dollars than has been appropriated this year. All right, we're going to pass a plate during the second round. So on that note, please, a big round of applause. State demographer Susan Brower, Bob Tracy from Minnesota Council Foundation. So we're going to turn the stage over to the cast of the Theater of Public Policy one last time. Uh, can I put, Dennis, can I put you on the spot with your synthesis song? So uh, I don't know if a lot. Of, this is a totally true story. Uh, once upon a time, Dennis actually for the, for the 1990 census. The 1990 census. Dennis actually submitted uh, several potential jingles. They ha- they had they had an open call right for people to say like what should the jingle on the television commercials for the census be? And Dennis submitted officially submitted several of them. And can we hear your favorite? This is my favorite. Thank you for listening. This show was recorded live at the Bryant Lake Bowl in Minneapolis. If you'd like to attend one of our live shows or are interested in working with us on an issue you're passionate about, you can find out more information on our website at www.t2p2.net and on Facebook and Twitter. Also, if you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend about it. Thanks.